Hello and welcome to the Hey Queer London podcast, Tea and Cake. Each episode we'll put on a brew and have a natter with the fabulous people doing fabulous things for and about London's queer community. In these uncertain times, community is more important than ever. We want to celebrate the brilliant people keeping our community going. Hey kids, how are you? I can't believe that Hey Queer London is turning one in a few weeks. Thanks to everyone for all of the support for this little project. Without it, I wouldn't be doing tea and cake today. This episode, I'm chatting to London's living rainbow, clownish princess, and your new invisible best friend, Crayola the Queen. Before I chat to Crayola, I just want to say that as a member of the LGBTQIA community, I'm doing my best to ensure that I use the correct pronouns during these episodes. So if I slip up at any point during these chats, I apologise, promise to learn, and do better. Hello to Crayola. Hello, Crayola. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, hon. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Loving that little uh, preface about the pronouns and stuff. I think as long as we're as long as we're trying, right? That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's important. And so I think yeah, I want to make sure people feel comfortable and that we're also starting all off in a good place. I think yeah. that's the positiveness with it. I appreciate but, that. How are you? How's lockdown been treating you? Lockdown, it's been it's been kind of all over the place, hasn't it? It's been kind of a roller coaster, like ups and downs and moments of feeling like I'm figuring this all out and like moving everything. Um, onto kind of digital platforms and what is digital drag and then I feel like just as I've managed to kind of like get that under lock and key for myself all of a sudden we're heading back out into physical performances again and it's like what does now socially distanced cabaret look like um so I feel like I've not really managed to have much of a break in terms of like like we're all like always having to learn new stuff over the last few months and yeah. new new situations but but all in all it's 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 been interesting <laughs> it's interesting because i would say you i would i'm going to class you this as the queen of the streams because ah! <laughs> you were probably one of the first that i saw who really from the get-go as soon as lockdown happened mm. had loads of different shows lined sort of lined up and you were trying different formats very quickly mm. uh, that must have been quite good fun it was fun it was also it was also really tiring like I, I did figure out really quickly that I think we were heading into a situation that was going to be a little bit longer term than maybe it seemed at first. And I also, I'm, I think that the official lockdown started here on the 23rd of March, if I believe. And I, I actually canceled my first gigs. I think it was on the 13th um, because I just saw what was happening over in America. I saw what was happening in so many other countries and, and, I was just like, I don't, even though the government's not ready to put us under an official lockdown, I don't feel comfortable or I feel like I've got a responsibility to my fellow humans to keep them protected. Um, so I actually canceled my own things before even venues did um, and started moving things online. And yeah, I, it seemed like I was doing like lots of different stuff and I, I was, but I'm not keeping it up in the same way because I kind of was using that to figure out what works online and what the demands of because it's a it's so different to live performance so different <laughs> it's, it's so different mm-hmm. I think one of the favorite comments is people um is people is is performers like yourself doing um doing live streams and people seeing what's in the background of your house 
yeah. had things of people spotting like what books you've got, like yeah. uh, different plant species has become mm -hmm. a thing. <laughs> I've my background. I well, so I'm working in a very limited space at home, and I do want you know things to be kind of aesthetically pleasing. So I've got my like glittery backdrop with like some fairy lights and stuff. So I've been pretty good at actually managing to keep my flat really unseen <laughs> despite, <laughs> despite all of this. Um, but yeah, that backdrop's been been a godsend and it, it doubles as a green screen. Amazing. Which I think every drag artist has needed during lockdown as well. Definitely. So what, what's been your, what skills have you picked up during lockdown that you didn't have before? Oh, um, so, I mean, editing, editing video and stuff. Um, and I think also like creating content, like pre-recorded content, it's just such a different beast. Like I, I definitely feel more comfortable doing like live things. So like I prefer live streams actually over doing pre-recorded content. Um, I'm just such a cabaret and theater queen in my heart. Um, and for me, like, performing is all about that connection with people and kind of so so n not just new skills that i've learned in terms of like like that i've been forced to pick up and how to deal with editing and all that but I've, what's actually been really interesting is that it's reinforced knowledge about myself that i had before which is that i really do love that kind of audience performer connection and so finding ways to recreate that um so like i've I've moved off of the Instagram lives and I've been doing more stuff through Zoom because then at least I can see faces and like if people are applauding, I can kind of see what's actually happening. It's it's a bit more satisfying than um, just a comment feed because it's it's so it's draining. You do this like you like put your heart and soul out there, right? You do this performance and then you just see this little bubble of hearts in the Instagram live like coming off, off coming up off the side and it's like. I, you just end and it's like you're like that's it you know i'm used to after the show like people i'm like applause after every number and like the chats you have with audience members afterwards and the hugs and you know that really i don't know oh i just missed that but yeah <laughs> and I, I um and because you've been doing loads of the streams where's the furthest um furthest you've seen someone uh see your stream from across the world so one thing that's been cool is I've um, actually got a little fan club now on Twitter. They nice. call themselves the, the crayons, and they're so adorable. We love the crayons. And one of them, Dakota, is, has been tuning in all the way from Australia. Wow. So, and, like, Dakota's dedicated. Dakota has, like, like a bunch of pictures of me on, on her wall. Like, she had a, a pillow printed with my face on it. Her cat, Bella, is apparently a big Crayola fan as well. And um, it's been a running joke, uh, the phrase, go to bed, Dakota, just because like, the, time, <laughs> the time difference and stuff, because she's always tuning in at weird hours. Um, but not, not just in terms of audience members tuning in from all over the world and like, like getting to kind of break into new fan bases and new kind of groups of people. But like, I've performed in Tanzania. Like, wow. Like, like um, through, there's a... YPO is like a little organization and I entertained their um their AGM <laughs> and like I never in my life thought that I'd be beaming into Tanzania to do that <laughs> like most people probably don't even know where Tanzania is you know yeah <laughs> uh 
And then that's really cool. A drag queen going international here from from my own home. <laughs> live, from, live from London, straight yeah. across the world. It's queer. <laughs> a brilliant. But also, and also with my accent, people people keep thinking that I'm like, if I'm doing like a birthday party or a Hindu, they think I'm like tuning, I'm coming to them from New York. They think that I'm being beamed in from America. They they completely forget that I'm just, you know, here hanging out in Hackneywick. <laughs> so you've been doing bachelor parties and so you've been doing those type of parties as well over lockdown through yeah. Zoom. Yeah. That's really cool. That's very different. Like a Hindu on Zoom must be very different. It is very different. Like I, um... So kind of going back to what I was saying before about really craving that connection. The other thing is it's a two-way street, right? Like um, audiences are also craving that kind of connection. And I don't think like the kind of one-sidedness of an Instagram live is actually that satisfying for people. Um, But then also trying to do full cabarets over Zoom with everything all split up and everyone in different places. Um, I've actually been doing more like quizzes and like bingo and things like that so it's like a recognizable format everyone's comfortable from their own home um and then we can kind of riff within that kind of familiar structure and i'll do like a song or two uh but i've also been um tailoring them to people really that's really cool it's new this is new like in order to keep it cute and make it interesting to them but what i've been learning a lot about people like, because I'll, I'll send like a questionnaire through. And one thing I've learned is that boyfriends, if they're doing birthdays for girlfriends or like wives and things like that, they are obsessed with their girlfriend's bathroom habits. And like, really? Of, okay. Yeah, I asked them Interesting. for, I asked them for like, for, for fodder, for like, for roasting whoever's birthday it is. So if it's their girlfriend and stuff. If for some for some reason, like, is there anything else you should tell me that would be funny for me to know about to bring up during the the party, the Zoom party? And they always bring up their bathroom habits, and I'm like, what? I'm like, how would this person feel about you talking about them like this? Wow! <laughs> and they'd probably be scared that their boyfriend or partner is listening that intently to to know what's happening. That's crazy. Yeah, I, so I, did, I did one where everyone kind of sent through secrets and it was weird to play a game to like match people within the party to their secret. And I swear that like 60% of the secrets were all like bathroom related. It was, it was a lot, like a lot of drunken messes involving bathrooms. I was like, wow. <laughs> There's definitely a culture at play here. <laughs> You've also got some interesting secrets as well. Like some very sort of, some other stuff that you're like, I shouldn't know about this or like, and they're going out with who? Like oh my God. the power that you could have got from that is, that's crazy. Well, I mean, so I guess as long as I'm not saying names, it should be fine. But like one of the first parties I did, I um, and I guess people were not in the best place mentally necessarily. So one party I did with this woman, was getting so drunk on a bottle of white wine that was just sitting next to her. Her kids kept coming in and out. And every time they would leave, she would start complaining about like having kids and like would complain about her kids and, and at length. And it wasn't humorous. It was like therapy. And it doing these things on Zoom is very different because if we were in a public setting, I could take the mic and 
in, in, in a much more easy way. But in this like kind of, this is like a kind of group of friends and they're all kind of in a Zoom room and there's no microphones to take away. And I hadn't learned how to like mute people yet. <laughs> But the also, power like, how... of that mute button is amazing. But how do you mute someone when they're talking yeah. about this? Like it's it was like it was some kind of it was a very unique situation. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've been through a lot this lockdown. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, uh, let's go back to the beginning. Like, how did how did Crayola Crayola form, and how did you mm. become the the drag uh, cabaret superstar that you are now? Oh, that's that's a nice title. I'll I'll put that in my next bio. You're allowed um, that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I started dabbling in drag. Like I think I can remember back to even like childhood and and being a teen and like always kind of dre- loving dressing up. And I remember being fascinated with drag when they like featured it on America's Next Top Model, and then when like Drag Race got started. But I never thought that it was something I could do. And it was always something that was kind of stigmatized in my brain. And cause I've, I've, I've gone, I mean, I've, I've been like classically trained as an actor and like had, I've got like the theater background behind me. And there was something in my brain that just was telling me that if I became a drag queen, that it was like some kind of failure, like uh, to, to me as like a proper actor, um, whatever that even means. But so I started dabbling in drag after my theater degree, before my performance degree. But then when I went off to drama school in New York, I went to, uh, to Stella Adler, they um, they were like, we're gonna put you up for a year. I like set all, any drag dreams that I had had, had had up to that point, I kind of like stuffed away in a closet and was like, I'm gonna be a serious actor and do the Shakespeare and the Chekhov and like, was like, this is my path. Um, and then was so miserable and couldn't figure out why. Went off to Cincinnati after I graduated to do an acting internship. And bizarrely, they made us do lip sync battles as part Amazing. of it. Yeah, it was so weird. Um, but it, this was a once a month, a once a month thing. Um, and my boss, I was like, yes, I'm gonna do it in drag. My boss was like, um, I don't understand like why you have to do it in drag because like on the Jimmy Fallon show and I was just like, hmm, hold up right there. Okay, so there there is kind of a legacy for lip syncing and kind of drag performance. And this is the community I'm coming from. So this is kind of how I'm gonna embrace it. Uh, after she saw it the first time she was sold and then I won the first two and ended up hosting the rest of them. And Amazing. that's where Crayola was born. Crayola was born of all places during a seven month stint I did in Cincinnati, Ohio. Like, talk about plot twist. <laughs> that is a good plot twist. That's a very good plot twist. <laughs> so weird. Like, I, you know, I never thought that that's how my, how my life would go, but here we are. And then I hurt my knee working on a show. Oh, no. Um, well, you say, oh, no, but if I hadn't, I would probably still be in America and look at the state of them right now. Of course. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we, weird blessing. Um, so and also because with the NHS, and I've got um both my parents. So I'm British through my parents being born here, and so with access to the NHS, I came here to get my knee sorted out. Um, and then just ended up staying, and then this is where Crayola's really had a chance to stick some roots down, find myself like as part of a community, and to like really figure out who I am as a cabaret performer and as a drag queen. So like 
it's so weird how at the time like it felt like such um like an injury like that like i thought my career in performance was over and i was it was so scary and i had no idea that it was just the beginning of something far more fabulous <laughs> yeah and it because it's always those moments as you said like when like you hit rock bottom that suddenly you go actually it's the thing that changes your life and gives you what you need it to be which yeah. is amazing yeah <laughs> did you um, did you grow up in the uk or did you were you did you live in the states for most of your sort of so i grew up in texas i was born and raised in texas um so both, both my parents were born over here originally but my mom's originally um indian part of an indian community in in east africa in tanzania um and then my dad is like super white from west london he used to work in oil and so then that's why we ended up in texas um grew up there so i was 13 in houston and then moved to india <laughs> and and then malaysia when i was 16 um so did the international school thing for a while and then moved to reading for university for my film and theater degree and then was in london for a bit then new york cincinnati and then london ever since um so she is she's a global queen i've not gotten to work in many other places aside from london just because most of my activity has really just like been here um and i'm still i'm still kind of baby like i i'm only three years old in drag years um so like i still i'm still very much at the start of my career it feels like um so i would like to be traveling the world a bit more so manifest trying to manifest that, but yeah, um, but yeah, but yeah, tra traveling around a little bit. That's really cool. And when when you when you moved to London, did you did you find the community quite welcoming when you first started, or was it was it or did you struggle to sort of fit in and connect with people? I it's it's um it's a bit of a mixed bag because I feel like um, London is such a big city and there's just a lot of a lot like and so there are very much there are some there are some gay spaces that are very much that there are gay spaces for like predominantly like white cis male gay men um who appreciate a very who seem to like generally appreciate a very specific kind of drag and then you've got other kind of environments which are a lot more open-minded which um allow for more alternative drag styles or you know are more open to to kind of women being in the space and like having trans men trans women um different kinds of artists like all kind of as part of the the gorgeous tapestry of it all so there's there are i think there are some there's some real differences in the politics of different spaces um, and I definitely found myself gravitating way more towards the queerer, um, more like more inclusive spaces. Like I don't really find racist jokes that funny anymore. Like, and you know, and when I did, it was because I didn't understand that they like how bad it was, like how bad racism actually is. And even though it's like like a joke between like in a room, actually isn't that harmless. But then the implications of that joke happening and being people being okay with it right like is actually quite dangerous and so it's like just growing up a bit and realizing that i found myself yeah much happier in the spaces where where that kind of inclusivity and kind of more progressive thinking was kind of happening 
Um, so yeah, I found I found those spaces very welcoming. Um, I mean, I I identify as non-binary or gender fluid, um, but all people perceive me to be a more generic cis male drag queen, which opens up a lot of doors for me. Um, and there's a kind of privilege level that comes in that. Like I definitely get access to a lot of jobs and am uh, seen for a lot of jobs that a, a lot of my drag king counterparts don't necessarily get access to in quite the same way. So um, I, I, I've taken it further actually, to take your question even deeper, I've installed myself into the scene in a way to actually then create one of those inclusive spaces myself to then try and champion um, the bodies who are quote unquote lesser valued within the, the community and the drag industry, dare I say, now that it's kind of becoming that. Um, because I want to make sure that that kings and female drag queens and um, trans artists are all being given more of a footing, more of a foothold in the community. Because, yeah, for multiple reasons, it's very it's quite difficult for them. I think. Yeah, definitely. I took that question in another direction. <laughs> <but> like... <laughs> that is good, and, uh, but I, no, I hundred percent agree. It definitely feels that the scene has definitely has those two juxtapositions you do have the very traditional mm. british queen old lady drag mm. i would say in a in a way which has cock and space. a frock i've heard yeah cock and a frock hyper dragon and then but there is definitely it feels there is a rise of those spaces and events like yours like what you've been creating as well with with madhouse mm. is that those places where performers can really be who they are in their own skin but can mm. be from a variety of backgrounds because i've i've definitely seen from doing hey queer london for the past year or so of the rise of lots more or, or personally probably me discovering a lot more drag king nights mm. and a lot more of that scene coming about as well um but yeah what was it like to create sort of madhouse and <laughs> more representational uh, representational spaces with your events? um it's it's been it was really magical. I mean, it it, the, it all kind of started as an experiment. Most of the things I do, <laughs> I don't really set out with this like grand plan to like create this like these sh like shows or things with like a lasting legacy. It was very much actually in the same vein as of how I behaved at the beginning of lockdown, just trying out different things. And I kind of used Madhouse very much like that. I was originally at the uh, Matchstick Pie House, um, which just down the road for me in Deptford. It's a, it's such a cute venue. It's such a cute venue. Um, and yeah, like it was, was really magical getting to work with them and they really just let me experiment. Like I played around with what it meant to be a producer. I played around with what it meant to be a host. I played around with different performance styles. Like, um, and I, yeah, that's, that's how I discovered what my emceeing style is. And then, then the shift over to the glory um, which is a more like I guess a more established venue um, continued that kind of experimentation um, and helping me figure things out because there's no there's no school like I'm I'm really blessed as a uh, drag artist and that I've got like all this education and, and kind of training behind me to back me up but um, emceeing like there's no there's not really like a course you can do as far as I know um, or, or the best course really is kind of doing what I did, I think. And it's just through doing shows. 
So there's a lot of bad hosting that I did at the beginning as I was kind of figuring things out. But um, but yeah, it's kind of got me to to where I am. Um, And then, yeah, Madhouse was supposed to go weekly in March. was it? Oh, no. And we had just started. We had just started it. And that was going to be a a whole new challenge again um, for me to be kind of coming up with new lineups and new materials for every week. And it was an... uh, a much bigger opportunity for me again to widen that platform to bring all these performers because you know there's some really wonderful spaces out there like like the cocoa butter club and, and bar whatever um and the bitten peach and there are these groups who are like kind of drag centered um queer cabaret centered but are very diverse in the bodies that they're showcasing um but I kind of I wanted to like add, help add to that landscape because even though there are a, a number of them, there's it still feels like not enough. Like there's more, there's more, there, and there's like you can't like you can't like throw a stone without hitting like three drag artists now. Like I feel like every like like there's so much drag happening, um, and so there's so much talent that needs support. So yeah, Madhouse was a real opportunity for me to do that, and also the, the name's actually changing. This is, is a, okay. Yeah, this is like this is an exclusive just for you. Um, Amazing. The information will be coming out very soon. But basically, um, talking about being politically correct, uh, we're changing the name from Madhouse to Playhouse. Nice. So it's very much still in in the same spirit of it, but the connotations of a Madhouse as a kind of like asylum or um, institution in that way is not like a lived experience for me. Like, even though I'm quite open about my mental health, like I've never been sectioned or I've never been put into a situation like that. And I just feel like moving forward, like it's, it's a word that maybe we can like appreciate what it, what, that it's taken me this far and now we can kind of put that to bed and operate under a more and more inclusive kind of word because I, I there have been one or two people who've actually messaged me and said that they're not comfortable per, like taking part in in the space simply because of the name um and i don't want anyone to feel like that of course and i think playhouse works as you said it works really well as to give people an experimental space mm-hmm. it, it encourages joy and and things like that and yeah no interesting yeah yeah, I, it feels right, and it feels like the right time mm. to do it. Like we're kind of in this reset moment. Definitely, it definitely feels like a reset moment at the moment for quite mm-hmm. a lot of the industry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's that reset of where do we go and what do we want to do? Because I think it's, I, I guess it's also been interesting for you because you of doing, um, previously Madhouse, now Playhouse, mm. like in a real space, but then also taking that online as well. That yeah. must have been quite an interesting juxtaposition. Do you think that's going to be the future now of seeing sort of doing a, a mixture of a physical face-to-face, but also online mm. things as well? I, I do think that there will be some kind of, um, there will be some longevity actually, I think, in, in digital performance because it is accessible. Um, I think there is some, there's still some finessing that needs to be done there because like the risk is that that it just kind of can come off as like shit TV. <laughs> like yeah, I know a few people have said that. It's <laughs> um well, and you you are actually competing with Netflix and YouTube 
and all these other digital platforms that have these big budgets and production values. Like what we have working in our favor is that we are local. It is like indie. Um, and so we have that we have that local following that is expanding into weird places like Dakota and Australia. Um, you know, but by virtue of it, but but for the most part, it it the draw is that we are not mainstream. Um, and so it's just figuring out how to navigate that. So I I found actually selling tickets for things helps. So doing things for free or for donations, um, it undercuts the work immediately. And it also changes the way the audience comes in to receive it. Um, if they get bored for a second by one kind of like lesser energized number, something a little slower, they can flip on to the next thing and the next live stream or whatever. So I found by actually selling tickets, people then kind of come in, like the audience comes in with with a game hat on and they're like, I'm here to watch this whole show. Like they're they're invested in it then. Yeah. Um, I've definitely found that like that's a way forward and doing these bigger shows. So Cabaret Roulette's another show that I produce. And when I did that, I, um, I pre-recorded all the hosting. Uh, and because there's no need for me to be commenting with like a live stream for that. Um, so I kind of recorded all that in one go and I found that and then, and then released it on, as a ticket link on YouTube with tickets sold on OutSavvy. And I found that as like a format and a setup really worked, um, made more money than a lot of the other digital gigs I've been doing. Some of those are depressing. Like you, you're in a sea of other performers and you put your PayPal link up and you've created a new piece just for this show. And then you walk away with eight pounds and it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard. hard, but I think that, I think that, as you said, the video, the, the roulette, I think, I think having the video link on YouTube and for physically giving people tickets to watch it has worked. So I think, yeah, you've done it. Uh, baby lame did it with yeah. uh, the Mariah and friends for pride, which was, I guess, as you were saying, production values as well. Like that was super high production values. I don't know how they did all of that on a budget. You know, I didn't actually get to see it. Is I wonder if it's still up because I would like to kind of check out how they how they did it. Live streams have been great, and you see it pop up on your phone. You're like, I'll watch it. But actually, when you've got the, as you say, a ticket will enforce the person to actually watch the event, participate, and in, and engage in their in in the lockdown way of just of viewing it um mm -hmm. a lot better so that's it's, it's, it's interesting yeah, as you said yeah you've done it baby lame is doing it and then i think adam all for the drag kings has been they've been doing a lot as yeah, well with, with boy, boy box, box. um i think that's great that that's probably one of the good ways to make money because i guess that's that's been the challenge over lockdown is to keep keep the energy up for performing when the whole world is quite depressed but then also keep money to keep yourself going that's mm. it's, it's hard but I also think the, the kind of pay-per-view aspect of it, that you kind of like, you have this link then that you can watch at, any, at your leisure over the next like week or so. Because I don't know about you, but I found it really difficult to like schedule myself and like, I don't like being in the right headspace at the right time to like sit down and, and take part in a show when I'm at home. Like and by take part, I mean like, like, like in the, as the, you know, as an audience member, like, the doorbell's going. I mean, even while we've been recording, I've heard the doorbell go once yeah. and, have it, and have ignored it. You know what I mean? Like, and so there's like yeah. there's these things that just happen from being at home that yeah. makes things a little trickier to focus for like a, an hour. <laughs> yeah, at, at a set time. <laughs> at a set time, doing a set thing. Yeah, I've definitely found that as well because you can sometimes 
do the zoom calls and then suddenly you're like you're like am i in the right headspace to be here for this moment can i spend two hours or because i remember a couple of my my friends used to do them on a weekly basis and they were great we had a really good time but the next day saturday i was always mentally exhausted i just couldn't i was like i spent two hours on the phone while everyone else was getting drunk around me because i was sober and and i'm like the next day i was like i can't do this anymore (laughs) they're just too tiring it, it is it really is and and I, I found like i said before per- performing through like performing digitally extra draining because there's not that re- there's not the same return like energetically from the audience like and and so that yeah been i completely relate with that feeling of exhaustion afterwards so um going back to your uh, another question we had before um how mm. did you pick how did you pick the name Cray- crayola how did that come about <laughs> So while I was in Cincinnati, um, we were working on a show called A Christmas Carol, and I was a uh, man with pipe and rich caroler, number two, and uh, <laughs> I was given the task of giving everyone in the cast drag names. And so every day so I would give someone new a drag name, and I really struggled with this with the name for this one guy. His name was Craig Devino, and I was like Craig Devino, Craig Devino, Craig Devino, and then. Cray- Crayola DeVille, uh, based off of Cruella DeVille, popped into my head. And I took it to him and I was like, okay, Craig, here you go. You're Crayola DeVille now. And then it stuck with me. And then a day or two later, I went back and I was like, Craig, that's too good. Like, <laughs> I've got, I have to take that back. Like, you're not, you're not even at, like a, a, a drag queen. Like, I'm actually like doing drag. Let me, let me have it. And he was like, whatever. Um, so then I was working as Crayola DeVille and then realized pretty quickly, like within, but I mean, like within six months, I realized that the DeVille had to go because like, I'm, I might be more like Lilo and Stitch or some kind of like B-side Disney princess vibes, but like that kind of Corella DeVille villain, like I am no, not. Your, not your thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> So just Crayola on its own from that point on um, kind of took over. And then to Crayola the Queen to help me distinguish me from the craft the brand. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a, a real gift. Like it's, it's set me up with the color and the joy and the kind of um, youth oriented kind of part of it. Cause I find myself working a lot with young people through my drag, which is unexpected, um, but really meaningful to me. Uh, so yeah, the, the name has been in its way a, a gift in itself to me because uh, even though I came up with it, I didn't expect it to be mine and then I didn't expect it to keep it and to be working in drag this long, but it just, it feels very right to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you named any other drag queens or drag performers? Oh, um, no, I, do you know what? In terms of real life, not really. Like I, I, uh, no, I've helped people think about their names, but the thing with naming drag artists, so I, I'll come up with them a lot and I'll tweet them, but um, <laughs> like every drag artist does. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think everyone's but, got their secret drag name. Right. Uh... <laughs> but um, I, I really think a huge, a really important part of drag and choosing a drag name is that it does come from you. Like, I think like the self-expression part of it is really important. So I'll help people I'll ask them questions and try and help them think about their drag name. But I also tell them not to take it too seriously. Cause like, 
like drag, like clothes, like all these things, names are just like like articles of clothing, pop it on for a bit, wear it, try it out. If it feels great, keep it. If it doesn't, chuck it away. Uh, it's like not that serious until you're working in drag. And then like, yeah. like then, then, then things change a little bit. Then like having that brand becomes more important. But, but for early stages, or if it's just for fun, like what is the name anyway? Just have fun, hon. <laughs> Uh, so another question as well how did you discover your queer identity mm. I feel like I'm still discovering it like I feel like I'm still like it's a it's an active conversation that hasn't really finished yet um I don't I'm, I wonder if it ever really will like I feel like I'm constantly kind of discovering more and more about myself but um I got a song I have a song that I sing called faggoty which is all about kind of coming out as being gay and then later on, coming out as like realizing that the differences between sex and gender and then realizing that actually it's it's actually my gender identity that where things are spicy and where there's like a little bit more happening um and like that and that that's actually way more of a defining feature i think now than than necessarily what my sexuality is um and and yeah i like even can kind of drifting away from even the word non-binary and more into words like fluid, um, just because it, it feels like a more accurate description of what my the experience of my own gender is. So yeah, it's it's not it's not totally defined the words I use. Kind of in my attitude towards names, I just said it's like as long as something fits, keep wearing it. Um, yeah. But but those clothes maybe won't fit after a couple of years. So then, time to send them to the Oxfam. And, and and try and you know wear something new there was a documentary i found on youtube um Ooh. that was talked about your show and you were talking about how you have from your your transition a lot more into crayola from the mm. boy from your boy drag as you call mm. it and your and your uh birth given parent name mm-hmm. that you were assigned yeah i mean things i mean things are starting to blur more um i like so I've actually found now, like at, after being in lockdown for so long and really just either wandering around in my pants or like, or then being like in full drag geesh at home that now going back out into public and putting back on my quote unquote boy clothes, I've been actually finding myself feeling kind of dysphoric and like, like not feeling completely comfortable Um in those things and they're what I feel safest in in terms of navigating public places um just because London has it's like I said before a lot of a lot for every group of accepting lovely gorgeous people there's a couple people out there who for some reason feel very threatened by gender non-conforming people and make it their mission to make us feel quite threatened um and and at risk so I I definitely wear what I wear out out in public because it's what feels safest but actually like if I was more free I would probably actually be in some more kind of half drag kind of state like all the time to be honest is what would feel happiest and most comfortable to me also like all my boy all my quote-unquote boy clothes they're all like black and like charcoal gray and like all this stuff it's like a hangover from drama school and 
And like, I, I just want to be in colors now all the time. It really does, it makes such a difference. Um, like what you kind of surround yourself with really has an impact on how you feel and how you, what you wear really affects how you feel. And I just want to feel like more fruity, colorful and like feminine, like just more often these days. <laughs> Amazing. So who are your, um, who are your drag influences and sort of performance influences? Um, they've shifted over time. Like, like early influences were definitely um, me, the drag queen, formerly known as Meth. Formerly known as Meth, yeah. Formerly known as Meth. Um, also, like um, Vanity Von Glow, I used to go and watch when I was younger. Um, in New York, I used to go and see Logan Hardcore's show, like every Thursday at the Stonewall, and Britta Filter was like a big influence for me and like I actually consider her a friend from from when I was in New York and then Marty Gold Cummings as well as another like amazing political drag artist from New York um now this is funny I'm glad you're asking this I actually have on my wall written a list of like role models amazing well because I think inspiration is really important I think like focus focusing on like really positive things that in like a, a you know that that genuinely inspire you and like focusing on those things like just breeds more positivity i'm like one of those people who for a long time my biggest motivation was fear of failure and that is so negatively focused that like i have to kind of work a little bit to make sure that i'm really pitching my mind onto like positive inspirational kind of things so on that list i can just read it off for you i've got davina de campo amazing virgin, virgin x uh, Myra Dubois, Chio Gomez, Cheddar Gorgeous, um, Sadie Sinner, Marty Gold Cummings, Shay Shay, Juno Birch, Waka Shane, and Ruben K are like all kind of they're and like so different. And there's something so about there's well, there's just like kind of like a thing about each of them that I just really value and like look up to. And so weird look looking up to them because I'm older than some of them, but like just such an incredible and established artists who in in their in in their like super strengths like they're all superheroes in their own way and all kind of have a different superpower that like i i wish i had more of um and so kind of like yeah keep them in mind <laughs> amazing that is also a great list of 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 the other like london performers as well like, mm. like chio and sadie who we've had on the podcast who is i've me and sadie gossiped like two little school girls for an hour which is brilliant um, i love saying so much <laughs> and it, yeah no it's, it's great and some other people on this like myra dubois as well who's over lockdown i think is as well as doing the britain's got talent stuff but their audience is also diversified a lot because they've been doing weekly shows which have going down so well and I mean, stuff G- G- gareth like in, in myra like they're a genius like like they're a genius um they're uh their show every wednesday um a problem shared like talking about how like in in these live streams it it is about engagement participation and and, like connection in that way like what a genius format um that kind of like agony aunt style of of program um to really bring people in but then the way that um that myra uses comedy it's just it's just so perfect like every time i see them it's it's like a master class yeah they're so good just even because th- i did one of the first lockdown sh- uh, they did one of the first live shows at the rvt and mm. after seeing them in their living room it was interesting to see them on the stage and it was exactly the same and 
just even all the comments to everyone it's uh, yeah myra's well, amazing well so I, i've had the the joy of, of working with them before so but like early early on in my drag career i got to do panto with them um at her her upstairs um and just watching them navigate that because like they're very as much as they do drag they're also very much entrenched in the kind of panto world and scene and they've got a lot of love for it and a lot of talent for working in that world so they also wrote the panto um but just watching them like like forgetting the words to a song (laughs) but then turning it into one of the best things about the show because then they would just start like randomly scatting like 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 shimmy da ba da ba day day and like um just like like way to take them like like a big fuck up right and then but then turn it into the opposite of that um they're just they're such a special artist yeah so good what's your favorite song to perform oof um <laughs> it's so cliched uh but i probably like the 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 song that's probably getting the most play through my shows is don't rain on my parade like people love it um and then even though it's a love song like just because of the word parade it kind of has like pride related connotations and i like my shows to have to be fun and entertaining but also like inspiring and have some um more kind of nutritious like educational elements to it and because I get the, I, I'm blessed that I get to go into a lot of spaces like Hindus and birthday parties, where I get to kind of infiltrate more heteronormative spaces. Um, so to then be able to take a song in like that and spin it in a more pride-oriented angle and use it as an excuse to talk about like turfs and you know people who are kind of hurting the queer community, and you know dedicating the song to them, dedicating that that song to J.K. Rowling. Who needs to you know jk roll on out of here uh it's just like it it's and it's and then people just like that song like you get people singing along and and yeah so that's, that's probably it but the, I, i'm pretty guilty for repeating a lot of <laughs> the same the same stuff because once you find stuff that works for you um yeah it's it's it, faggoty also gets a lot of play i would say as well because nice. i've kind of known known for that one Cool. Um, Crayola, if you're ready, are you ready for us to uh, jump over to our pop quiz? Yes. Yes. Awesome. So for everyone who's listening, uh, the pop quiz is called 4321. Um, So we asked some questions, uh, all done in a number order. So Crayola, the first question, could you give me four LGBTQ plus creators that we should be checking out right now? Mm -hmm. So um, Richard Energy and Chai Chai Latte were both in the... Uh, mixed madhouse competition that i did through lockdown and they're both they were the top two for that competition um richard's an amazing drag king who's been using green screen to create the most bizarre and entertaining and and heartfelt um pieces of content and only started doing drag in the last year and have just really blossomed within this they've been working in theater for a long time and it's like all of a sudden all of a sudden the fires hit the pan and like everything's just happening for them. So I'm really excited. Chai Latte does like spoken word um, and original material um, and then really amazing visuals. So those are two definitely to check out. Then Radham Ridwan, um, who's big on like uh, social media, 
um, they create really cool content pieces that are very challenging to like gender norms and are they're very like I hate the word woke but it kind of like it kind of suits them like they're just it's very kind of like liberal and like mind opening like like their posts are all about kind of challenging the way you think about things and getting you to see things in, in a deeper way specifically to do with issues like race and um transness queerness things like that and then chio who like literally just by being themselves um operating on social media and being so such an open book like their content i wouldn't say is necessarily the most curated or um like or the most like like intricate in that way but there's just so raw like whatever they're going through on a day they will tell you about it and like whatever it's just so personal and intimate um and i think a lot of people really relate and kind of engage with them as a creator for those reasons um so like like yeah those four are my top my well the four creators right now there's but there's like this this whole pop quiz can i say is cruel because <laughs> there are so many so many so many so many amazing artists that i love and respect so much so it's like it's hard to kind of whittle it down um, but yeah, those are four people I wish anyone listening would kind of go and check out. Amazing. That's why we credit. We wanted to make sure that we give give few people some nuggets so they can go and discover. And then we get to know all of our guests with all different people. That's why that's why we yeah. kept it 24. Uh, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard. And no, you've done a great job. Thank you. Um, what about, uh, could you now give me three LGBTQ nights or bars that we should be checking out in mm. London? Yeah, I, so I think the RVT and the Glory are definitely two favorites of mine. I definitely like super biased because like they're two venues I tend to work with a lot. But part of the reason why that relationship exists is because I value, I really value the communities that are built around those spaces, um, and I like spending time there. So that's why I'm also like working with them. I mean, and like getting to perform on the RVT stage, like that's just that's just like iconic. Um, and then the the third number three is actually a night that's at the rvt and it's, i would say bar whatever i think bar whatever is like it needs some kind of like cultural protection like some kind of status in that way because almost every drag artist i know every almost every queer cabaret artist i know has cut their teeth on that bar whatever stage in those open mic slots like when you're getting started in London, like that's where you go. And um, Lysander who runs it is one of the most gorgeous humans I've ever met. Um, and Ingo as well. And the whole team that they've kind of, um, they've been growing um, with, with Shakona and like, you know, all, like all, the, all the people who work with in bar whatever are just so gorgeous and share such a, a good ethos that's really supportive. Um, and so I, yeah, I think that that's, that has to be on the list. And like, if you've never been to a bar or whatever, you must go. The atmosphere um, is electric and like really hard to come by in in any other spaces. Um, and also you, it is literally called bar or whatever because you don't know what you're going to get. Like you, one night could be really drag heavy. You could go another night and like see a night almost entirely of of dance, right? And no drag, <laughs> like, or a whole night of spoken word. Um, you never really know how it's going to be programmed. And I think always think that that's kind of a really exciting part about it. 
Nice. That's a good choice. I like that one. Um, could you give me two queer music artists we should be listening to? Yes. Um, so Davina DeCampo, actually, um, with her album that she dropped after Drag Race, um, is actually really good. Like, I actually really like it. And, and like, I want, well, I want to preface this by saying no shade to other drag queens out there releasing music, but this is going to be quite shady to a lot of other drag queens out there releasing music. You can, like, tell that it's a drag queen song. Like, like and it, they're more banking on their own kind of fame and fandom to kind of carry the sales. Whereas I do feel like DDC has just, has actually created, like, some just like some good pop tracks that just kind of stand on their own as like like good music um and then uh someone i've kind of rediscovered recently is, is teddy so the um formerly known as teddy geiger who was a singer songwriter still is a singer songwriter but um in over the last few years has uh, transitioned and um is you know is a woman and is creating like really beautiful ethereal um atmospheric kind of indie rock acoustic kind of music it's kind of hard to peg down genre wise but um yeah i just it's been i used to listen to them when i was a teen as teddy geiger and like and so now rediscovering them as teddy um and kind of listening to them it's yeah it's 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 really cool Nice. Um, last but not least, could we get one unsung hero of the LGBTQ scene in London? Absolutely not. You can get th- <laughs> you're gonna get three. You're gonna get three. I can't. I like. I. I. I can't. Like. I can't pin it down to just one because I think there are so many unsung heroes, and like the reason why I pick these people is because these people aren't aren't necessarily always on stage. Some of them are, but um, producing is a really hard job. Um, you know, making sure that there's a kind of showcase and a spotlight for people is like a really hard job and these people do it. So Lysander is one of them. Um, so supportive and just such a beacon of light and it has supported so many people at the beginning of their careers. So they're, they're super important. And I don't think that, I don't think people know, like, like I think people who've been directly supported by them know, but I don't think like general audiences out there realize what an amazing force Lysander really is. Um, also Jason Reed behind QX and creating the QX Cabaret Awards. And, um, you know, his politics are like, just sit in such a good place. He's very vocal on social media. Um, he's turned the social media pages for the RVT around completely. The way he interviews people for the QX magazines and kind of bringing in new talent. Um, like again i don't think unless you've been directly supported by jason that you necessarily realize (laughs) how much work is happening behind the scenes for that to happen um and then last but not least is is sadie sadie center um and all the work they do behind the the cocoa butter club but then also just generally like having them um as a friend on social media is a very eye-opening experience they're very brave with what they kind of share and the realities of working as a producer, working as a queer producer, working as like a female bodied producer, and also as a black female bodied queer producer. Um, and they don't really hold back. And so like, and so they're supporting <laughs> those of us with larger privilege levels. They're supporting us in how we can be better allies and, and constantly hold us accountable. And I think 
that like it's really it's important and exhausting work that isn't necessarily thanked enough or or appreciated i don't think people realize again like what that must cost sadie constantly to be giving us that gift mm-hmm. definitely i'm going to throw in one more which i haven't told you about Ooh! um what's your binge watch been for lockdown every horror movie ever oh really yeah ah. <laughs> <laughs> yep every horror movie ever um i i just watched cursed this week which i was like like the arthurian kind of but yeah i've been I, there's a reason why Crayola is as light and bubbly and joyful as she is, because she is the reaction, and <laughs> she's the reaction to like to I guess the slightly darker person that I can be when I'm not like in drag. Like I I, I love me a horror film. <laughs> You're not alone. It's quite a few like artists before we've spoken to who said they love it. Yeah, the horror is always a good. It's like their go-to instantly. I think if you have anxiety, like I think you kind of like like then watching horror like is I honestly think there's a correlation between people with anxiety and people who watch horror movies because it, like like if you're feeling constantly like on edge, then like to watch something where it makes sense to be on edge for two hours, it's like com- it's like weirdly comforting because <laughs> that's how you're supposed to be feeling. Yeah, of course. Uh, what's your what's your what's been your favorite one though that you've that you've rewatched, or one that you always go back to? Um, well, I love I love the craft. I love oh, I love the craft. The craft's uh, amazing. So good. It's Mean Girls with witches. Oh, so good. And, uh, Death becomes her. It's always um, a good classic. But a, a a good discovery I've made was the the It films I'd never seen till lockdown. Like I understand people having like fears of clowns now. Like I I get it, um, and it's also like ruined red balloons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I understand. This is like um, this is gonna sound like a little like woo, like a little like hippie. But like I I like to meditate. When I meditate, I over my heart chakra. I like to imagine an image of something that's like really buoyant, like like hot air balloons or birds or something like that. As I'm going through it. And it's it's been happening so much lately. I'll think of a single red balloon, and I'm like, no, <laughs> that is not, no, <laughs> no. And so I was like, trying to imagine more red balloons. And I'm like, no, this just reminds me of another scene from the movie. So then I like have uh... to move move on to like seagulls or something like that. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's ruined red balloons forever for me. <laughs> <laughs> So Crayola, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and find out everything about your di- what you've been up to. Um, where can people find you on the World Wide Web and the socials? Um, well, I'm on all social media platforms at Crayola the Queen. And then I have a YouTube channel, but they don't make it that easy to find us. So you, you do have to search my name into the bar to find my channel because I don't have that letter number combo memorized <laughs> but beyond that yeah all social media um at crayola the queen um yeah facebook twitter instagram been playing around with tiktok a little bit but like i don't understand how people have the time like to do that on top of everything else i don't understand because i i heard from someone once that t- uh, the average it takes the the average well it takes everyone f- the average of 56 minutes to make a video for tiktok and I was like, 
Okay, if it takes you that long to do the videos and the videos are 15 seconds long and you're constantly churning them out, I don't know how you can spend your time producing videos for TikTok. That's Crazy. commitment. That is commitment. That's commitment. <laughs> uh, what have you got coming up that we should keep an eye out for? Um, so on the 19th of August, I've got a show at the RVT that it's not even been announced yet, but may, probably by the time people are hearing this, it should be announced by then. Um, me, me and a couple of other performers um, exploring what socially distanced cabaret looks like. Uh, and then on the 21st of August, I've got the first Playhouse, Crayola's Playhouse, the rebrand, relaunch. Um, and that's actually going to still be digital. So that's going to be, um, you can buy a ticket off about Savvy and then get access to a link. Um, but it's also going to be the reunion from the Mixed Madhouse competition. So for people who were tuning in for that, all the quarterfinalists who from that competition will all be in this one. There's a big cast, <laughs> like there's like 14 of us. So it's gonna be a beefy show, um, but I'm excited to see how all their work has developed since the competition. Amazing. Yeah, that should be a fun one to catch. But yeah, beyond cool. that, just just follow me up. Follow me on socials. I'm I'm always shouting about what what I've got coming up. And um, yeah, if you if you got a, a birthday party or a Hindu that needs a needs a little like Zoom quiz or something, or even in person, I've got a face shield. Um, yeah. it's all doable. <laughs> all doable. Well, hey, thank you very much for joining us, Crayola. And that's all from us, kids. So we'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much, Steve. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the Hey Queer London podcast, Tea and Cake. You can follow Hey Queer London on Instagram and Twitter at Hey Queer LDN to discover London's queer scene. You can also follow us at Tea and Cake Pod on Twitter and Instagram as well. Get in touch and tell us what you think of the show. We're on most podcast platforms, so please give us a review. The show is produced, presented, and edited by Hey Queer London founder, Steve Whiting. A big thank you to Kelly Lee for letting us use her track Can't Dance. The show is produced by Mischievosity. <laughs> <laughs>